Hello and welcome to the latest episode of VM Insider with me, your host, Crystal Higgins. Joining me today are GMOs Tina Vandersteel and Carl Ross, and we discuss what their best strategies are for emerging market investors facing concerns over runaway inflation, as well as the global banking crisis. We also discuss their views on the AT1 debt fallout and where in the asset class this will have the biggest impact. Um, so first of all, thank you very much, um, Tina and Carl, for joining me today. Um, I think it's fair to say, so emerging market bonds have essentially matched gains in US treasuries this year, even against fears of tighter credit conditions. But in saying that, the behavior growth could be still hard to predict. So I'm interested, and either of you can take this, Tina or Carl, whoever wants to go first. What's the best strategy for EM investors facing concerns over, well, a global banking crisis now, potentially, fingers crossed not, um, and runaway inflation? I'll give that a shot. Um, It's probably good just to have a background of how we think about the problem from an investment uh, management perspective. So uh, I think GMO is somewhat unique in the emerging debt space for focusing primarily on the bottom up, which we refer to as security selection, which bonds, which exposures do we want uh, from the very bottom up? So these macro questions, I would say, uh, intersect with us more at the top level. And when we think about the top level, we think about it from the perspective of valuation. So is the asset class starting from a position of cheapness, richness, fairness, whether it's hard currency or local currency? And I would say um, here we are facing possibly a banking crisis or whatever the thing is that we're facing. And on the credit side, I would say we're starting from very attractive valuations. So credit spreads are pretty wide. Um, on the interest rate side, so hard currency interest rates, or in this case, dollar interest rates, we would say, fortunately, are now way off zero, at least at the front end, um, but the curve's inverted. So as a, as a duration extension idea, it's not as exciting, but for sure, the level is much better than we've seen for a long time, for at least a decade. Um, and on the local currency side, we'd say we're starting from valuations that are attractive across the two dimensions that matter there, which is to say on currencies, we think are very attractively valued, not all of them, but the the basket of GBI EM global diversified is pretty well valued. And importantly, the rates picture there, the local interest rate picture is also well valued. The emerging markets got a jump on hiking well before the Fed or the ECB or the SNB or certainly the Bank of Japan. And so we're starting with a good cushion for whatever comes to us. I would just add to what Tina said that starting from from great valuations matters a lot. And I think the other thing that we do here at GMO is we is we we are we view this as a long term buy and hold asset class, um, especially uh, on the external debt side. Um, you know, countries uh, the vast majorities of, of, of countries tend to to pay us back um, and not default, uh, you know, across uh, across across multiple um, you know cycles, right? So um, a buy and hold strategy kind of helps weave through these times. And on the banking crisis, I suppose it's it's difficult not to first of all talk about that. So let's talk about it in the context of the recent AT1 debt fallout, say. Um, the biggest impact here overall, 
will that be access to credit? And will this be now more difficult for, say, you know, high risk, high yield areas? And what kind of ways can you leverage this? How will how 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 does how would you tackle it from an EMD perspective? I'll try again from the very top and the very bottom, and then maybe Carl can uh, cover some country by country observations. I think you're right Fantastic. that from the very top, uh, when we say valuations of our asset class are attractive, we're not unmindful of valuations in other asset classes. And so I think you nail the um, you hit the nail on the head by saying credit is becoming more scarce, right? And you know whether it's depositors leaving the banking system to go into money market funds seeking higher yields or whatever credit, you see it in the senior loan officer survey and other places, credit is less available, right? And so I think that is one of the reasons that the spreads on our asset class are wide, because people anticipate that, for example, high yield spreads need to adjust wider, investment grade credit spreads need to adjust wider. I think we're already starting from already wide. So I'm not too worried from a valuation perspective. I think other asset classes need to adjust to us. Um, and then with respect to AT1 specifically, at the very micro level, I said at the outset, we're sort of a security selection focused manager. This has been a subject that has been interesting to us since AT1's marched on the emerging debt scene right around 2014. Right. If you think about what that financial instrument is, we're, we're always interested, oh gosh, is this new financial instrument something that will add alpha to our portfolios and how do we think about that problem? And we have a, a bank specialist on the team and he observed early on, he said, I, I see what the regulators are trying to do here. I, I think it from a regulator's perspective, it totally makes sense. You have this new hybrid instrument that can take losses ahead of equity before you have to put a bank into insolvency. Right. So that seems like a win, win, win from a regulator's perspective. Now imagine it from an investor's perspective. It's a lose, lose, lose. And with a very, like, I wouldn't say difficult an impossible to model outcome. Right. right. If you think about old style sub debt, what did you know? Well, when the bank is insolvent, then there's senior debt and sub debt, and there's going to be a relative recovery here. It's at the total whim of the regulator. So from an investor's perspective, we apply just such very high hurdles to invest in these things that practically speaking, we don't, right? And in our market in specific, like extrapolating away from a Credit Suisse or a developed market, in the emerging markets, most of the banks that we look at are government owned. So now imagine the conflict of interest there. The government owns the equity. So of course, they're going to shoot the AT1 holder before they shoot themselves. So the hurdle is that much higher for an emerging markets AT1 than for a regular AT1. So that's a very micro level. In between, of course, you might be curious, okay, if credit is going to be less available, which countries do we think it would most affect? And that is Carl's area. Carl. Yeah, I, I would just add that AT1s are not really a very significant source of financing for entities in our market. So, so if the AT1 asset class you know, kind of goes away. I don't think that's a that's a, a significant event for for emerging countries. If the channel is you know global risk off and and lack of access to markets, that does become significant. And and in, in that case, you know, we we look at. I mean, you know, what we've observed over the last couple of years 
is countries, you know, they, they get creative. Um, you know, if, if access to, to international bond markets is constrained, um, they lean towards their domestic bond markets. They lean towards, um, you know, the official sector, the IMF, World Bank, and other multilaterals, um, you know, to sort of bridge, sort of bridge that gap. Um, and, you know, in our asset class, we have, you know, I'd say the beauty of our asset class, or one of the nice features of our asset class is that, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a broad spectrum, right? And uh, depending on where you are on that, that credit spectrum, let's say, you know, you can lean on your local markets, you can lean on, on the multilateral institutions, um, you know, in the short term anyway. That's really interesting. And Carl, actually, while I have you, I suppose, um, if we're looking at, say, fighting inflation, and if now's the time to be, you know, potentially sticking to, you know, the established good economic governance rules, what, what you know, what debt and from what countries are you favoring right now? If, if you want to give maybe a kind of a, a run through of where you're looking at and why. Well, I'd say we're, um, you know, I'd, I'd say we see opportunities in, in, in various sectors. Um, you know, I, I think that some of the higher yielding countries that are out there, uh, the, the, the more, the less developed countries, um, their bond spreads have widened to, 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 to a point where we see, we see attractiveness in, in a lot of those countries. Um, the more investment grade countries, I, I'd say it's, it's a mix. Uh, it's a little bit more of a mix. We have, we have a lot of investment grade countries where there's been a somewhat maybe of a flight to quality, um, you know, and, and spreads are, are extremely narrow, um, you know, in some of the countries in, in Asia, for example, Philippines, a few of the countries in Latin America, like in Uruguay, where we don't see very much spread. Um, and then there's some countries in between, like where we have a, a chance of, of, of policy making major improvements, for example, like Turkey, I'd say would be, would be number one on the list there. Okay. And we can go, I know this is a bit of a macro one. Um, so whoever wants to, 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 to tackle this one, is, it's fine. It's, it's quite broad, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. So I, as regards your market outlooks, um, from a fiscal outlook point of view, I'm just wondering, you know, what is your fiscal outlook right now in the, you know, the short to medium term and, and how this would impact things that are of interest to you right now, like local currencies, for example? The fiscal outlook in, in emerging countries, I would say it continues to be somewhat strained um, from, 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 I'd say the, you know, the, 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 the legacy of, of the COVID shock, which was, which was a big shock to uh, GDP, a big shock to domestic demand in these countries, and therefore a shock to their tax revenues. What we've observed is that most of the countries have plans for, for fiscal consolidation. They've recognized that, yes, our debt levels are higher. They're not nearly as, as, as higher incrementally as the developed countries' debt-to-GDP ratios, um, but they are higher. Um, and their ability to carry debt obviously is is you know is 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 lower than than that of a of, of a developed country that might have very very strong domestic markets, and so um, you know really across our our universe with very few exceptions that I can think of, um, you, you know countries have have fiscal consolidation plans. Now you know that that's not that's not necessarily easy to do. You know that that means raising tax rates. That means cutting spending. 
um, you know, maybe we need a little bit of luck. Um, some of the oil exporting countries, oil producing, energy producing countries have had some luck with, with higher oil prices for sure. Mm. Um, you, you know, as some you know, countries like uh, an Oman, a Bahrain, um, you know, an Ecuador, um, you know, have had an Angola have had some, had some revenue windfalls that have helped, but really, you know, the vast majority of, of countries across the board are, 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 are kind of aware of this problem. Um, they're aware that their debts burdens are getting closer to where they could be in debt distress, um, you know, and are, are, are really making the necessary adjustments. And um, kind of in the same vein as a fiscal outlook, um, I suppose, and I know it's, it's hard to generalize about, you know, 70 plus countries and we shouldn't generalize about 70 plus countries, but now that a recession seems to be almost, you know, people I think have they've come to a consensus now that a recession is going to happen and it's going to happen. It's not going to be delayed. It's going to happen quite soon. What what do you see a, like the recessionary impact on EMD? I think on on EMD markets from a from a from a macro standpoint, I think I think a lot depends on what what happens with uh, with with rates with uh, with G three rates if it. If if we are going into recession, and I, I'm not sure that that's consensus, but if we are going into recession, you know, you, you'd expect um, the rate hiking cycles to um, to uh, to end, and and you know maybe even uh, a rate cutting cycle um, to happen. And you know that's that's good and bad for emerging countries, right? I mean, a, a global recession is bad, um, you know, but but a but a cessation to to the rate hikes and maybe rate cutting would would be good at the margin. So, you know, it's 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 not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you know, these countries are are quite accustomed to navigating through um, you know, various cycles and and you know, they're they're kind of used to being um, you know, I I'd say, you know, sort of um, you know, whipped around if you will by by uh, by what happens in 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 the in the bigger countries. So, that's really fascinating. And I was just wondering as well, and this might be a little bit off piste, but it's something that's come up in the news recently is how the China Belt and Road Initiative seems to be in big trouble um, financially, which could lead to defaults in countries in which they have, um, you know, being, I suppose, investing in and, you know, certain projects have been happening there. Is that on your radar at all? Is that too is that too far off, or is that something that that you would be keeping an eye on? You know, and if these countries were to default, is there a way to leverage that? How how what what would you be looking at now as regards this? I would say that the number of countries where Belt and Road um, debts um, rise to the level of you know putting the country into debt distress is a fairly small number. Um, and, you know, some of the more important countries in this realm might be, you know, a Pakistan, for example, where I, I you know, and, and there may be some countries in sub-Saharan Africa um, where, where the Belt and Road loans are, are kind of, you know, large enough to cause debt distress. But, but, but by and large, I think, um, you know, those, the, those loans are, are, 
you know, not in and of themselves creating debt distress for countries, right? So, so I think, you know, if, if the overall debt burden of, 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 of some of these distressed countries, you, you know, is, is something that you know, pushes to countries into debt restructuring and default, um, you know, those loans will, will likely be treated, um, you know, within the debt restructuring per perimeter. So, um, you know, it's something that's on our radar, but I don't think it's anything that, that is necessarily systemic to the asset class. Gotcha. And Tina, actually, um, the last time we spoke, um, you gave me what I thought was a very illuminating run through of how to make alpha in the face of a default and all the, the levers that you can you can use, um, that you can do within fixed income, which is, you know, why you like it more than equities. Or, yes. Uh, I know that we spoke through specific examples before, but I was wondering, are there any similar uh, opportunities in the same vein as what you talked to me before that you can you can kind of is is on the horizon or is in your eye line yeah of or is, course. That just, is that what, oh yeah go for it if we're talking about the weak end of the credit spectrum then the yeah. most important thing to do is to lower the price of your holdings relative to the benchmark Right, we're benchmark relative managers. I mean, obviously, if you have the foresight to say, oh, I know this country is going to default and sure. uh, they're going to default quickly and all of this stuff. And we have had those examples, right? We were Forever, we were underweight Lebanon because we thought it was a default candidate, that kind of thing. But it's, it's hard to play that game, especially sure. when the yields on the thing are quite high. So instead, what you want to do is create this portfolio exposure that limits your downside relative to the alternative. And there's multiple ways to do that. Buying lower priced bonds. I mean, today is a good example where uh, bond prices are going down quickly in Ecuador, let's say. And when that happens, you see a compression of the higher priced bonds to the lower priced bonds as the market starts to price in an imminent default where everything becomes the same claim. Right. So if you started out in lower price bonds, you're better off all else equal. Um, you can buy credit protection in the form of credit default swaps. And now they just broadened the CDX index in our market with the latest roll to CDX 39. So we added a couple of names, Dominican Republic and Bahrain, for example. Well, we didn't have any CDS in Dom Rep, but we did already have some in Bahrain. So you could have bought them more bespoke and now they're becoming more part of the regular market tool you can short bonds um you can short high priced bonds uh you have to understand the cost of repo and all of that but all of these things are ways to protect yourself mm -hmm. and before i let you go well first of all thank you for uh joining joining me today it was lovely to have you both on for the first time hopefully not the last time um i suppose i'm not saying i want to, you know an image of you guys having sleepless nights but if there is something that keep is keeping you up at night at the minute or is the first thing that you think about you know in in the morning as regards the markets and you know emd specifically which is what is it i'm curious if carl and i have the same one <laughs> i i would say i would say for me it's, it's something in the geopolitical realm um, you know, a major escalation in the Russia-Ukraine war that's already been, um, you know, a, a negative development for a lot of emerging countries that depend on on, on food and, and fuel uh, imports. 
um, you know, or something in in the China Taiwan realm. You know, there's plenty of things to worry about. I would say in the in 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 the geopolitical side of things that uh, you know, obviously not not just going to affect uh, emerging debt markets, but all markets. Not to not to end on a <laughs> a gloomy note, but I I have uh, inadvertently ended on a gloomy note. But I think this is a, and sorry, Tina, did you want to elaborate on, on that? Or do you share the same, is it geopolitical? Is, is, is that where the, the, the kind of the concerns are at the minute? I would say my concern is a consequence of the geopolitics, which is to say a perennial worry of any sovereign debt investor is cascading sovereign defaults, right? And there are default clusters, and they are generally around wars. So to Carl's point, if we have a major war somewhere, I would expect a default cluster, right? And for better or for worse, that's not limited to the emerging countries at that point, right? If you look at the big wars, the developed countries defaulted it all as well. Right? Mm. What's the immediate fallout for an EMD investor when a, when a sovereign credit cluster happens? What, what, what happens? What, what does it look like? What, how does it... How long does it go on for? How big, you know, how big of a, a headache is it? Not to not to put a too simplistic point on it. Uh, there's actually a terrific paper that talks about this um, called "Sovereign Debt Since Waterloo," and there's a nice graphical element in there where you see the default clusters. And again, if there's a major war, some major distraction, then obviously debt workouts will take longer. Right. Everybody is worried mm. they have higher priorities than working out the debt. Um, it, we did already have a default cluster. The first default cluster of the modern emerging debt era, if you say the modern emerging debt era began in the early 90s, late 80s, mm. was the one that happened around the pandemic and the aftermath. Right. We've had a number of countries default and the workouts have taken longer than they had been taking in some cases. And part of that's, again, due to the pandemic, people can't meet and so forth. Um, so we look at that and we say, well, that's good. We've already had our default cluster. Many of the countries who were on the cusp have already defaulted. And the ones that are still out there, there's very few who are still default candidates or whose bond prices don't already reflect that they're a default candidate. So again, if you're a valuation sensitive person, you say, well, it's already in the price, right? Gotcha, Carl. Per perhaps a subject for another uh, another call is-, oh, is that's promising. You'll come back on again. <laughs> the effect of uh, sanctions. And when you have geopolitical uh, conflict and, and wars, um, uh, you know, typically what we're seeing is uh, is sanctions regimes being imposed on 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 countries' bond markets, and so um, you know we would likely be receiving interest payments, for example, on our Russia bonds right now, if if we were permitted to receive them by by our governments who are who are preventing us from receiving those. So, you know, Russia would probably be paying us. Um, nice. And um, and Venezuela, uh, even though that's not a war situation, but it's it's viewed as a as a criminal regime by by the United States and others. Um, you know, we would probably have a debt workout in Venezuela right now, were it not for sanctions. So these things are are headaches that pop up uh, as well around uh, big geopolitical events. Very illuminating. This is, of course, it's slightly somber, but 
you know, these are nothing if not summer times, um, but it's a great note to leave things on. Um, Tina Vandersteel, Carl Ross, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thank you. No problem.